Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. You guys, grab your, uh, your Bibles and uh, I would say uh, open them to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for now. And then I am going to probably set a record this morning for how many Bible verses I spit at you all this morning um, because there's a concept on my heart that uh, God has placed there. And I want to show you all over the scriptures how important this is. The, the uh, immense importance of, listen to this, um, the heart of a pioneer. The heart of a pioneer. I have stumbled onto a series, I wasn't planning this, on a, a three-week series here on pioneers I started two weeks ago. I'm just going to wrap it up this week. Uh, but talking about the heart of a pioneer, um, I believe that a pioneer's, biblically speaking, from the heart of God, I believe that a pioneer's greatest feat in his or her life is not the accomplishments uh, he or she makes, is not the ground he or she takes, is not the news things he or she starts, uh, it is not uh, how many um, feats they did alone, but the greatest accomplishment of a pioneer is that they actually keep their heart. So important. I would, I would uh, venture to say that it doesn't matter how many things you do if you end up losing your heart in the process. So this is so important. I want to speak to you. I believe there's more pioneers in this church, meaning this. Maybe you're not historically a great leader like they teach at Harvard or like they teach at, at, at schools. Maybe you are, and that's great. But maybe you're the kind of leader that you don't know how to organize the mess behind you, but you do know how to take hills. You do know how to operate in faith. You do have a courage that is uncommon on the earth, and you're willing to operate in it, and you're a pioneer. And I would say that no, many, no matter how many um, Things you pioneer, if you lose your heart in the journey, um, you're a tragedy, and I'm getting tired of seeing those. Anybody? The heart of a pioneer. Um, God has called some people to operate in uncommon courage and bravery, to be brave hearts and lion hearts in a day where it's much safer to hide and watch people and comment on people. Uh, God's operating in ways where he's calling people to, and he's gracing people to never give up where you look at lives and you say, how in the world have they not given up by now? How are they still going? I've never seen somebody take that kind of punishment, that kind of abuse, and keep after it. This is amazing. Like, you, the world doesn't know how to receive pioneers, do they? Um, I, I, God's grace is on people, and God's calling people, and beckoning people, and, and begging people, come join the party, come be who I've asked you to be, come take a, a beating without compromising. That's what pioneers do. And come do this. Come be uh, among the few who, it's, it's, you don't care about the odds. You just can't be stopped. You ever watched Star Wars? Han Solo's one of my favorite characters. And then there's a CP3O, or a, yeah, CP3O, who's always giving the stats. You know, you, you have a, you know, a 14 to 10 billion uh, chance of whatever. And he goes, you know, I never listen to the odds. Listen, because he's a pioneer. You do what God's put in your heart to do, and the odds don't boss you around. Like, welcome to the kingdom. 
But here's what has to happen, and here's what can happen easily, is a pioneer who takes abuse and gets used to pummeling things and doing things alone and, and walking into battles where there's not many allies and standing and not giving up and not running and ignoring the odds. What can happen to the heart of a pioneer is it loses its softness, its childlikeness, its tenderness, its compassion. And one of the great dangers of, for any leader, especially a pioneering leader, is that as they blaze trails, their hearts get scarred and calloused, and he or she actually ends up losing his or her heart. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 is this, is, is an interesting, I'm not staying here, but I'm just, I'm just backing up what I just said. Here, Paul would be a pioneer, an apostolic pioneer, and he lists all the ways that he's been suffering as he's been advancing the kingdom, as he's been taking the gospel to shores of different people groups that have never heard. And as he's standing alone for much of his journey, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away. Have you ever felt like that? This is time to be honest. Like, I, I feel like I'm dying, but I'm not giving up. And here Paul was saying in a beautiful way, we're not losing our heart even though we're losing our lives, so to speak. Now, this is a delicate balance because your life matters, but I would say that your, your life gets its juice, gets its life from your heart. And I've been seeing this in myself lately where I've become so accustomed to confrontation and intense, challenging conversations that I've been wielding that sword carelessly. And my daughter Grace has to say, Daddy, I'm, I'm a 10-year-old girl. I'm like, oh, did I have my sword out? Oh, I'm used to these meetings where we have to, we have to trudge down stuff and hack through weeds and forests and speak into each other's lies and you have to receive and you have to give and you can't be scared, you have to do it in love, but it, it gets wild and sometimes there's some places in my heart that I've just found myself pulling out a sword and begin hacking and I don't even realize that I'm not talking to somebody who's not ready to receive that kind of a blow. And I've been hurting people. I've been re uh, wielding this sword carelessly at times. And sometimes I've, I've just had to admit, hey God, what's going on with my heart? I was driving my Ford F-150 down the street the other day, little side street at, uh, in Hanover, and I was following this Chevy or something, or I don't know if it was a Hyundai or a Kia or whatnot, you know, God forbid a Toyota, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I say that for Steve, uh, but I, I, I'm driving down the road and suddenly this vehicle that I'm following stops in the middle of the road and starts backing up. I start laying on the horn, honk, 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 and then finally he stops, and he's looking at me like this in his rearview mirror, and I'm rolling down my window saying, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? And he, he waves me on, but he doesn't see three cards coming, and I'm like, I'm screaming at a man that I don't know. I don't know the situation that's going on, but I'm irate. Oh, you guys left me hanging on that. I gave you a second. 
to say, it's okay, I've been there. No, you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't help me out. I get it, I get it. But I'm angry. I was walking across a, a, a parking lot with Mike Corson the other day and this lady in a Subaru, all right? It wasn't a Ford. This lady in a Subaru comes and almost runs me over. When I stop and back out of the way, she gives me a hard time. Mike, do you remember this? <laughs> oh, I didn't want to give her the love sign. Oh. And here are things, these things come up in our hearts. These things come up in our hearts, these situations that, that begin to get to the, the toughness, not the tenderness, the anger and the frustration, not the deepening love in our hearts, and they're warning signs. If the, if the engine light comes on in your vehicle, you don't drive it another 5,000 miles. And so there's, there's these signs that come uh, popping up in our heart. Here's why. It's because your heart matters more than anything else. Your heart matters more than your feats of courage. Your heart matters more than your ability to lead a movement. Your heart matters most. Proverbs chapter 4, Mike read this earlier. Uh, start, verse 23 says this, above all else, guard your heart. This isn't poetic. This isn't nice. This isn't like, like the Holy Spirit is designed to say, you know what, let's say it like this today. This is intentional, friends. Above all else, meaning there is nothing else above what I'm about to say. Above all else, guard your heart, or the ESV translated, translates it, keep your heart. It has to be kept. It will run off. It will get wounded. It has to be kept. It has to be guarded. This world's wild and, it, and stands opposed to a a pioneering heart. So above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, the ESV says. So your heart, listen to this, my friends. If you consider yourself a pioneer, if you're saying, hey God, I'm willing to go wherever you send me. I'm ready to pioneer a new movement in my family. I'm willing to pioneer a new movement in my school. I'm willing to pioneer a new movement in my neighborhood. I'm willing to pioneer a new movement. Do you know the people that come up here and dance across the, the, or just spend time with God up here? They're pioneers that are willing to say, I'm going after freedom and worship and I don't care who's uncomfortable. Do you know, if you're going to be a pioneer that advances the kingdom in any capacity, we have to understand this, that the priority of your life is your heart. It is your only priority. And so many of us, we wonder why the, the news talks about people in ministry failing and people in ministry leaving and people in ministry renouncing, whatever. It's because somewhere along the way, we lose our heart despite all of our degrees, despite all of our stuff, despite, but despite everything we know and every platform we've been get, given, somewhere along the way, we stopped guarding our heart and it became something other than what it actually is. So it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't ma matter who you serve. If your heart is out of sync with the Father's, guys. The, the Father wants to pour his heart out on the world. And that means that your heart has to be in sync with his. If you don't learn to steward your own heart, you end up hurting others. Now, there was, there's a man, that the only man in the scriptures that says, where God says, this is a man that is after my heart. It's King David. And I love that he was not perfect. <laughs> he was as, as messy and nasty as anybody else. But his heart, guys, his heart was after God's. And he writes in Psalm 27, 4, this man after God's heart, 
one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. Do you see this? Here is the, the, the man after God's own heart. He's about to tell us his secret. He's about to tell us his one thing. He's about to share with us his one request. If he has one wish, one ask, one thing to seek for the rest of his life, all of his days, here's what his one thing boils down to, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's all I want. That's where a heart after God starts. I want to be where God is. Nothing else matters unless this is our one cry. This is, the, this is what we're looking for primarily in the heart of leaders at Providence. If you want to be a leader at Providence, you, you better be ready to cry this or we're spotting that seen a lot of things and you're hanging, it let me hang out to dry on my own today. Uh, but uh, I, I believe in you that you will get better, all right? Because I'm preaching my heart out and I need some help, okay? This has to be our one cry. Do you know that Psalm 27, 4, though, is the context that it's in is something unimaginable and unthinkable. That David is actually not pinning this in a bubble where God's insulated him from the world. And from that insulated, protected position, he's saying, all I want to do is be in your presence, God. That's not it. The context for this passage, you actually find one verse prior in verse 3. It says this, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. In other words, my number one priority is not that I would never have enemies, that God would deliver me from any, any opposition. My, my number one cry is, is not peace as a prerequisite. God, give me peace so I can desire you. That peace is not a prerequisite for the presence of God. You get peace in the presence. And so here the, the number one priority is God let my heart treasure you so you're my only thing that I seek. You're the only thing that I want. You're my only treasure in this life. You're the only thing that I long for. So here David is longing for God's presence in the midst of the kind of adversity where an entire army is after him, guys. Do, we're bossed around our adversaries and the opposition so much. But what it does, is, it's like the Subaru lady in the parking lot. It only shows us where our heart is not. So a prerequisite for pioneering in the kingdom is just simply this. You want to be a pioneer? You say yes to Jesus. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have degrees. They're fine. You don't have to have them, though. We're not anti-learning here and not anti-knowledge here. It's just where knowledge and learning and equipping and all these things begin is the most important. And where all of it begins is a lovesickness for God. A lovesickness for God. That's the wind in my sails. It is, it is the boat I'm sailing in. It is, my, it is the filter that all information and knowledge has to flow through before it gets to me. I'm lovesick. So if you're called to be a leader, if you're called to be a pioneer, you must understand that the biggest attack that you're going to be facing is not people that are going to be opposing you, not liking your ideas, not helping you when you need help. The biggest attack is not people making war against you as a pioneer. The biggest attack is your heart settling for something other than God's presence. This is the fight. 
that my heart would not want something else more than God. That is the fight, my friends. So your heart is going to be pioneers. Listen, your heart's going to be under attack. You're going to have heart attacks, spiritually speaking. I pray against them physically. Whoosh, all right? I, but I'm telling you they're coming spiritually. All kinds of things will attack your heart because your heart is the most important. And when you decide to step out of the bubble that the church has created and decide to be a pioneering son and daughter in the kingdom that is gonna take the culture of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the, the best news in the world, the only treasure there is, out to dark places, your heart's gonna get shot at and it's gonna be a mess. Let me show you that biblically. Let me show you that biblically. Psalm 95. Here David, once again, is writing. And here's, here's some symptoms of your heart being under attack and you losing the battle, okay? Psalm 95, starting with verse 7, says this, For he is our God, and we're the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Come on, David. You go, man, right? Then he says this, right after something so astounding in Psalm 95, Seven, he is our God. We're the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hands. Then he says this, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Oh, that doesn't, that doesn't even seem to make sense. You're talking about us being God's. He's our maker. We're his sheep. Yeah, but sheep don't harden your hearts. As at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. Do you know where, where, those two, where those two words are from? They're from the Old Testament. They're from Exodus, when God used Moses to lead out the people out of slavery. And listen, all they wanted to do was go back. Here's Moses saying, I'm pioneering a new movement. Hey, me and Joshua, me and Caleb, there's, a, there's a, 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 a few of us that we actually want to go possess the land, but the people they were leading, all they would do is whine and complain, even though God was doing miracles and pouring out signs and pouring out wonders and literally speaking to these people and, and thunderous sounds so they wanted to die. It's, it's like the miracles in the past, they wouldn't believe in the present, and God saying that is evidence of a hardening heart. Meribah means quarreling. No matter what I do, you quarrel with me. Massa means testing. It's like when you're talking to your kids and they're on their device, not mine. But you're saying, hey, it's time to go get a shower, time to go to bed. Um, maybe you didn't hear me, it's time to get a shower, time to go to bed. Um, ma maybe you didn't hear me, it's time to get a shower, it's time to go to bed. Okay, like maybe you didn't hear me. What? <laughs> Welcome to church. You know, it's like how many wonders does, does God have to do? We've heard his fame. We've, see, we, we've seen his renown. He's written it for us in a love letter, and it's like, we're not awake enough to see it. We're so consumed with small things. 
so consumed with small. I, I wonder how many of us, like, let's be honest, not out of shame, but to welcome the Holy Spirit in repentance. How many of us have cared more for likes on social than sitting at Jesus' feet this week? We, we've checked social more than we've checked our hearts. I, I don't have any facts or figures on that. But I do know what happens when the hand of God is on somebody is suddenly social seems more attractive than ever. And you have to fight for your heart. Your heart can't settle for anything else other than the presence. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. This is a powerful one. I love this one. Let me just read this to you. This Jesus entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. They would be the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. It's the Sabbath. It's illegal by their rules to heal anybody on the Sabbath. So Jesus is being watched so that they might accuse him. You know, the armies are camping against you. Jesus knows that fight quite well. In verse 3, Jesus says to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, that's the religious leaders that care more about the rules than a man's healing. He says to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Now look at this. This this will ruin your day in a great way. Verse five, and he, meaning Jesus, looked around at them with anger. You wanna know what makes Jesus angry? He's, he doesn't ride a unicorn on rainbows, all right? He's, he's got a righteous indignation that we need. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Why? Because he broke our rules and what we care most is about how we interpret our own spirituality. And when you start caring about how you see Christianity more than people and more than their health and more more than their wholeness, more than their happiness, more than their futures, more than their present. That is signs, my friends, of a hardening heart. I care about how I see it. While Jesus, his heart just breaks for people that have to go through life with a withered hand. He says, stretch it out. The Sabbath is actually made for you, not you for the Sabbath. I wanna show my glory on this day. If you flip to Matthew chapter 19, this is, man, you guys ready to flip? You don't have to flip. I'm there. I'm there. I'm there, all right? Matthew chapter 19, uh, verse, let's start with verse 7. It said, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give her a certificate of divorce? Uh-oh. Hey, guys, guys, cover your ears now if you don't want to hear this, all right? I'm not angry. I'm just, just saying. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. If you're starting to think about, I think my life would be better without my covenant partner that I, that I made a, an eternal commitment to before God and others. 
He's trying, I think my future would be better without her, without him. I think this would be, there'd be more peace. Well, God's not so much concerned about your peace as much as he is his presence where you get it. And so your relationship's crumbling because you insist on doing them your way. Hard heart. Hard, 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 stinky heart. And flip back to Mark for a moment. Do you like this? Do you like flipping, all this flipping? Do you read your Bibles? Okay. Mark chapter 16, verse 14, it says, afterward, this is after Jesus has died and rose again. Afterward, he appeared to the 11. Because remember, remember the, the, it's not the 12 anymore, it's the 11, because one of them stabbed Jesus in the heart. Betrayal. So there's 11 now. Afterward, he appeared to the 11 as they were reclining at, at table. That's an expression, they're eating, they're lounging on the ground, tables are on the ground. I say amen to that, let's go back there. You know, yes. And then Jesus rebuked them, why? Was the food not good? No, Jesus didn't care about that. Why did he rebuke them? He rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because, like, where did that come from? Jesus, where did these guys stop believing you? Where did their hearts get hard? Why? Where did that happen? Show me that. It was because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. So I would say, when you start being skeptical of powerful testimonies, when your heart isn't maybe, God, if you're in this, I'm not knocking it. When you start being skeptical of powerful testimonies, I would say, begin to look at your heart and say, heart, are we good? Are we good, heart? There's, there's the, the, the 11 are like, well, it was just Peter and he's crazy. It was just John, it was just two against nine. It was just some ladies that say they saw Jesus. Like, we're not gonna believe that. We're, we're guarding the truth. Well, it was the truth, and that's why I'm angry. The problem is not that you didn't hear the, tr the, the problem is not that you're guarding your heart from lies. The, the problem is that when you heard the truth, you couldn't receive it. That is the problem. And God, God shares these, just doing things. Somebody came up to me after the service yesterday and said, Jesus healed my, or not yesterday, last Sunday, Jesus healed my knee. And I've been telling testimonies of the miraculous, uh, all, all that, I'm seeing it more than I ever have in my entire life. We, uh, we've been praying for God to do miraculous things like I am seeing. For, for all of my life, I've always longed for this, and now that it's happening, and it's very few people actually believe it. And I feel like part of my job is like, no, 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 you gotta see this. I'm not backing down, I'm pioneering a miraculous move of God. If it makes you squeamish, fine. But I do know that Jesus is actually rebuking his followers for being so slow to believe miraculous testimonies. Do you know, do you know this, man, I have got so much to, to say here and I don't have time. I think I'm gonna save this one. Um, for, for later, but listen to this. There was a man named Solomon. He was the wisest man in all the world. And he started out so great with, with a heart that was just intoxicated with God. 
He, he was a, a lovesick lover. In fact, when he is, when he is praying uh, at the beginning of his, his ministry, he says, God, incline our hearts to you. Let our hearts, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord. May we walk in your statutes. May we keep your commandments as at this day. God, like, just increase this, he says. But you read two chapters later in the book of 1 Kings, and you see how quickly a man like that can fall because he started marrying women, as kings did in this day, that didn't know God. And, and their love for their gods actually swayed the wisest man in the world's heart, where he began to actually build and worship, uh, build places of worship to wood. This can happen. Jeremiah chapter 2. God is speaking to his people. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, where is, where is that? No, wait, there, there we are. No, no, that's not it. Oh, there it is. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Here's what God is saying. My people have committed two evils. Number one, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Friends, this is where it starts. In this day, there is three water sources. There's living water, that's moving water. That's water that's clean. That's water where stuff's not getting in there and contaminating it. It's moving, it's clean. That's the preferential water of the day. If you can get by a stream or a brook or a spring, that's the best. Number two was well water, groundwater. If you could dig a well, that, that's fine too. There's a, a third option, but it was the worst. It was water that came from a cistern where you'd build this big container and you'd, you'd wall it up so it wouldn't leak and it would catch runoff, but it was also a place for like bug larvae and stuff to grow, so it wasn't a great option. And here, here God is saying, here's what I hold against you. I'm offering myself to you as the best, the living water, but you actually keep creating things for yourself that, that are not only second best, but third best, and in so doing, you're dishonoring me. Your affections are for the second, third rate instead of for me. Do you get this? Do you get this? God, God cares about what our hearts prefer. And when something else has caught the affections of our heart and our hearts actually prefer, we'll go to church and do that. But God's not looking for that. God wants you to want that. I'd really like to be at the lake right now, being pulled in a boat on an inner tube, but here I am, Jesus, at church. But your heart's not here. I know my heart's kind of at the lake, but here I am. Well, that's a start, friends, but you've got to go deeper. So you would begin to see that Jesus is actually better. He's more of a thrill than you being pulled in an inner tube. This has to happen. Why wouldn't I rather be on the golf course? Why wouldn't I rather be at the lake? Why would I rather not be on vacation? Here's why, because Jesus is better, that's why. Jesus is just better, is why. In fact, Jesus says this in his glorified, resurrected body at the end of the Bible. Do you know this? It's Revelation chapter two, starting with verse four, when he's talking to the churches. And he's talking to the, the church in Ephesus, and he's, he's saying, listen, you've got good theology. You're chasing out false apostles. Uh, you're serving, you're, you're bearing up under persecution and abuse well, but I have this one thing against you because it's the most important thing. You have abandoned the love you had at first. 
In other words, if you chase out false apostles, that's fine. If you bear up under uh, persecution, that's fine. Pioneers do that. But what's happening, why the resurrected Christ literally has something against the church is that an abandonment to his love and affections for him is disappearing. It's disappearing, it's nowhere to be found. I have this against you, you've abandoned the love you had at first, and when this happened to, when this happened to David, da- David says, and he cries out to God, God, forgive me, I'm a wretch. How in the world could I ever take cistern water over you? God, why would I ever do something like that? He said, cast me not away from your presence. We're made for the presence. And he's realizing again in, in Psalm 51, starting with verse 11, wait a second, I was made to be with God. I don't want what I've chosen. I actually, my heart does want you, God. Restore to me that place Again, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation where my joy would not be, be uh, accumulated by being pulled in a boat. It's fine. But my joy would actually come from being saved by God. Oh, that's where my joy comes from. And armies that encamp against me can't have that kind of joy. Peter says in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, he says, repent then, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Listen, all revivals come on the back of repentance. Sometimes, uh, sometimes music or worship's at the helm, sometimes prayer's at the helm, some, uh, often preaching's at the helm. You, almost always there's pioneers that you never know about that God begins to use their voice and their, their wild torches, kingdom torches, that God is beginning to have a, give a, a platform. But always repentance is at the base of revival. It's not, it's not God. Like, I want you to be fine with me making you third. That's not how it works. It's like revival comes when we say, I was made for your courts. I was made for your presence. Psalm 84, the psalmist says, I'd rather be, I would rather be, I would rather be, I would rather be a doorkeeper. I would rather open the door that leads to your presence than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I would rather, I know they're doing fun stuff that will eventually kill me. But I would rather open the door to let worshipers go into your presence. I would, that is what my heart prefers. It's what my heart prefers. This is what Christianity is about. It's not about praying prayers that are magic and get you to escape hell. It's about your heart coming alive to the, the treasure that Jesus is and saying, I actually want you. I want you. This is what Christianity, and this is not what we teach in the church. We teach steps and programs. If you got into a class and you're learning, you're learning. But if you're learning without being lovesick, you're not a Christian. How how are we impressed by that? I want to learn at your feet. I want to be driven to it. I would rather, God, I'd rather, I, I want you. You're my desire. So I say the best thing that you can do for your marriage and for your kids and for your heart, pioneers, is with everything you've got, spend time with God in the presence. 
If there's anything that the Holy Spirit's been convicting you for, throw that at the feet. Jesus paid for that. You don't have to play with it. I think that's all I've got. <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah. So, so how about this? How about this? Um, bold pioneering people here today that know that your heart matters and you haven't been keeping your heart. You have not been keeping your heart. Stand your feet right now. Stand your feet right now. You have not been keeping your heart. You have not been paying enough attention to your heart. You stand your feet right now. And so today, God, th th these are the pioneers. These are the pioneers that could give a care about how they're perceived, but just want all that you have for them. If you're around one of these brave people, just put your hand on them, all right? If you're close enough to put your arm around them, do that. And so God, we're just gonna, we're just gonna welcome in. You, the winds of your spirit have been blowing for decades and generations. And today we hoist sails, sails of repentance, sails of, uh, of your presence, sails that say, you're all we want. Sails of desire again, God. We hoist these sails and say, say, be the wind in our sails. Drive our lives forward from this posture and this position. Help us, God. We renounce cisterns that are second and third rate compared to you. We renounce those things. We want living water to fill our hearts, God. So we bless you and we bless you and we bless you, God. And we want you and thank you that you take us as we are. And we don't have to perform, so here we are. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.